and his wife, they walk into a dentist's office, and after a 30-minute wait, the man walks up to the counter and he said, I need to speak to the dentist. The receptionist goes back, and after a short pause, the dentist appears at the counter. The man said to the dentist, I'm sorry, doc, but I'm in a bit of a hurry here. We have already waited 30 minutes, and I have two buddies sitting out in my car waiting for us to go play golf. So we're going to have to forget about the anesthesia. We're going to have to just pull the tooth and be done with it. We have a 10 o'clock tea time at the best golf course in town, and it's already 9.30. I just don't have time for the anesthesia to work. Let's just get it over with. Well, the dentist looks at the man with, a, with a, a strange look, and he says, my goodness. He said, that's a very brave thing to do. We typically don't do surgeries like this without having anything to kill the pain. But okay, if that's what you want, he said, I'll do it. Show me which tooth it is again. The man turned to his wife and said, open your mouth, honey, and show him the tooth. <laughs> Well, there you go. Just for the record, just to be clear, that was a joke and not marital advice. Guys, please do not do that. It will not end well for you. <laughs> well, here we are, bus dedication weekend. At the end of service today, we're all going to go outside. We're going to pray over. We're going to dedicate our buses to the work of the Lord. I figured it was just about time that we would do that. After we pray for them, you can come back inside and, and enjoy the, the food and the clothing closet and all that stuff that, you, that we typically do. As it is bus dedication weekend and we are going to be restarting, relaunching our Wednesday night uh, bus routes on September 1st, I wanted to take a break from our current series and bring you a truth today that, I, that I've spoken on before. I think it was a little over three years ago, so it's been quite a while. Um, so we're going to be taking a break today. We're also going to be taking a break from our series next week as next week is our back to school bash. We have been gearing up for this. Now, just as a reminder, next week's service is going to look a little bit different than normal as this, this is one of our big event weekends. And so it's specifically tailored for those that do not know Christ. So if you have a friend or you know of someone that does, that does not know Christ, I encourage you to bring them next weekend. It's going to be an amazing weekend as we join together as a church family to bless our community as kids get ready to head back to school. We have 700 backpacks filled with school supplies this year. Truly remarkable. This is the most that we've ever done. God has just been so gracious to us. We're also going to have food. We're going to have haircuts. We're going to have bags of groceries. We're going to have our clothing closet. It's going to be set up in the chapel to try to space, uh, space out better in there. It's going to be a wonderful day. There's going to be outdoor games. There's going to be inflatables. There's also going to be a dunk tank this year. And I have drawn the short straw to be in the dunk tank. So if I've ever made you mad, <laughs> security, it's the children's pastors giving me grief this morning. What is this? If I've ever made you mad, this is your day next week. I'm telling you, don't miss it. I'm sure the line's going to be lined up at 5 o'clock. We're going to probably have a line down Shano Avenue. People waiting up to dunk me in the tank. Amen. I'm going to rig it so it doesn't fall. <laughs> oh, praise God. 
Although uh, most of the activities are outside, we are going to have a service in here. We are going to have more uh, people than we typically do in our building next weekend. So I just wanted to give you a heads up uh, regarding that. If you're not quite comfortable with that I complete, yet, I completely understand. We are going to be streaming the message online as well. Also, uh, our food pantry next week is going to be run a little bit differently. In order to get a bag of food, you have to stand in line and make sure you register. And once we're out, we're out. So if you don't get a bag of food next week, we still are open every Tuesday and every Thursday for you to swing by as much as you want. Okay, let's get started. If you have your Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 20. And we're going to be starting at verse number 20 today. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be up on the screen so you can follow along there as well. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Here we go. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let my two sons sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by, them, by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup. But I have no right to say who's going to sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and he said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Verse 26. But among you... It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. I'm, I'm calling this message the greatest title in the world. Father, for the next few moments, I just ask and I pray that you would give me the mind of Christ to explain and to communicate this truth clearly. Father, I, I just want to thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in this church and through this body and through this group of people. And God, I believe after today, it's only going to get stronger as we continue to move forward and bless our city and our community. So, Father, I just pray for your anointing today. I thank you for your anointing, for without it, God, these words are empty and void. But, God, if you would anoint me, they will go forth with power and change lives. And so we give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If I would ask every one of you in this room what your definition of greatness was or what it meant to be great, I would get a lot of different responses. For instance, if I would ask you what the greatest football team in NFL history is, what would you say? Who said the Bears? All right. If I would ask you who the greatest quarterback in NFL history is, what would you say? We're going to have a church split. I thought it would be much easier than that here in Green Bay. The truth is we all have an opinion. And we all seem to have a different opinion on what the word greatness actually means. For instance, ask two car lovers what the greatest car ever made is, and you're sure to have a difference of opinion. 
Ask parents who, the, who makes the greatest crib or car seat. Ask a contractor who makes the greatest window, shingles, or siding. The list goes on and on. You see, there's something about the word greatness that stirs something inside of us. We want to be great. We want to be known as great. We want to do great things with our life. We want to have great accomplishments in our life. I've never had anyone come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, I just want to be mediocre. I just want to kind of float through life. No, I hear of people telling me their dreams and their passions. Dreams to make a difference in this world. Dreams to be successful. Dreams of greatness. We want, we want greatness to describe our performance, our families, our work, our hobbies, our churches, and even our ministries. We want to be great. But with that being said, there's a lot of opinions on what true greatness actually looks like. And you know what they say about opinions. Opinions are like noses. Everybody has one. They also say something else, but I'm not going to repeat that here in church. Use your imagination. So we all, have an, we all have an opinion, but what is the truth? What does true greatness look like? All over the world, many people define greatness by the title they carry. CEO of a company, CFO of a company, president or vice president of a company, doctor, judge, etc. Many different titles that we could list. And so what we do is we chase titles because so many of us view greatness that way. That's the way the world views greatness. It's true even in ministry. I remember when I was just a young pastor, so just last week, I was taught, don't laugh at that, I was taught that I should demand that people address me by my title of pastor. You should demand that people address you by pastor. Now I understand the thought behind this, but as I begin to study the Word of God more, I begin to see a truth about titles. And after understanding this great truth, it doesn't really matter to me what title people use to address me. Because the word, the title pastor, according to the word of God, is not the title of greatness. The world views greatness through one lens, but God views greatness through another lens. And we see both of these views come to life here in this passage that we just read from the book of Matthew. So... What is true greatness? What does it look like to be truly great in the eyes of God? To answer this, we're going to break this down a little bit here in Matthew chapter 20. In Matthew chapter 20, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, she comes to Jesus with a request. Now to really fully understand this request, you have to understand who this mother is in relation to Jesus and to find this information you really have to go on a bit of a hunt and you really have to dig to find this identity of this woman you have to piece together the crucifixion accounts in three of the four Gospels it is believed that this woman the mother of the sons of Zebedee were, was none other than the mother of by the by a woman by the name of Salome which was the sister of Mary Jesus's mother this would have made her Jesus's aunt so she's family this detail helps us to understand the importance of her question to Jesus a little more she's making a very bold request to him 
To sit on the right and the left hand of Jesus is to technically be made the two highest ranks in the kingdom of God possible. The one on the right hand being the second in command, third, or the left hand is the third in command. So she's asking that Jesus would make her two sons the highest ranking officials in the kingdom under Jesus. Well, here's a mother that wanted what's best for her children. Just like any parent, she wanted them to be successful. She wanted them to be great. What could be greater than to sit side by side with Jesus in his kingdom? To hold a position that everybody else on the face of the earth would want. After all, she's his aunt. This would have made, this would have made James and John Jesus' cousins. Their family, because they're family, they feel like they deserve that position of power. This is worldly greatness. It's not uncommon for people to use their relatives or other relationships they have developed as a means to achieve some greater position for themselves or for their children. Have you ever heard the saying, it's not, who you, it's not what you know, it's who you know? You see, the world lives by this. How many times do we find that positions are filled by people not the most qualified, but the people with the best connections? And we see the same thing here. Salome, this mother, is using her relationship as Jesus' aunt to gain positions or titles for her two sons who are Jesus' cousins. We read in Mark and James that, or we read in Mark that James and John ask the question to Jesus themselves. So they're not only asking, but they have their mother ask. After all, their family, they're deserving, they're entitled to that position. Jesus knows exactly what's happening, and he's genius. So look at his response, verse 22 again. But Jesus answered them saying, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink from? Well, yes, we, they replied, we are able. Notice how quickly they responded. Jesus doesn't beat around the bush. To sit at his right and his left is going to cost them, and it's going to cost them dearly. It's going to cost them their life. But they don't even think about it. They respond right away, yeah, no problem. Sometimes we can get so focused on pursuing worldly greatness that we fail to sit down and count the cost. I can see Jesus just shaking his head here. They're just not getting it. So he continues, Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who's going to sit on my right or my left. My father's prepared those places ahead of time for those he has chosen. Verse 24, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. I would have loved to have seen the face on James and John here. Jesus tells them that they're going to have to pay the price anyway without receiving the title they were after. Now notice as this conversation's going on, the other disciples are present. They hear this conversation and they become angry. Who do these two think they are? So Jesus, understanding what is happening, he calls them together and he has a heart-to-heart conversation with them. Verse 25 again, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and their officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Now to understand what he's saying, you have to understand the Gentile leadership structure of this day. It was very similar to what we see in today's society. 
worldly greatness, leaders flaunting their position. You see, these people, they had control because of their title, and they would use that control in a very unloving and a very hurtful way. They think they're better than everyone else because they have the position, they have the title, and on their office door it tells the world who they are. When we begin to think of greatness in this light, we begin to view greatness as having people underneath us, to having a group of people who will answer our every call, to having a group of people that will cling to every decision that we make. We think that we have to have that in order to be great. If I don't possess these things, then I'm nothing. That's the definition of worldly greatness. Worldly greatness does not last. So Jesus paints this picture of worldly greatness and then he shifts the perspective and gets to the core. Verse 26 again. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is godly greatness. You see, godly greatness teaches just the opposite of worldly greatness. Godly greatness teaches that that this type of greatness is not exalting yourself. It is humbling yourself. It is considering other people better than yourself. It's looking out for the interest of others. When it comes to this type of greatness, the way up is actually down. You cannot ascend to this type of greatness. You must descend to this type of greatness. John the Baptist sums it up this way. John chapter 3 and verse 30, he says, He, he, as in God, must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. The world says you, in order to be great, you have to fight your way to the top. But God says, no, in order to be great, you have to serve. Look at, look at King David. Perfect example of this. David was anointed by Samuel the prophet to be king over all of Israel. God chose David over his brothers who were more qualified. In the eyes of the world, they made more sense than David did. But the world was not choosing. God was. David wasn't even invited to the selection party. Look at this, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 10. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all of the sons that you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep, the sheep and the goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. So he looked kind of like me if you want to get a visual. And the Lord said, that is the one. Anoint him. David wasn't even invited to the party. Where was David at? He's out in the field taking care of dirty sheep. He's serving. Who notices a man out in the field with the sheep? Man doesn't notice that, but God does. 
Here's the thing, though. David wasn't interested in the title of the king. He could have cared less. He had the title of a servant. So Samuel anoints David as king. David could care less about the title. He was a servant. We see just a few verses later that the current king of Israel, Saul, is being tormented by a spirit. One of his attendants asks if he can summon a harpist to come play to help him feel better. Saul agrees. Well, it just so happens that David can play the harp as well. And the Bible tells us that David came to Saul and entered his service. He served him. We're told that that Saul liked this harpist so much that he asked David's father if, if he could stay with him. It was agreed, and whenever that spirit would come upon Saul, David would begin to play that harp, and the spirit would leave. Now understand something. David had already been anointed king at this point. He could have easily put his nose in the air and said, that kind of work is beneath me now. But instead he sits down on the harp, and he begins serving the same man that held his future position. Sometime after that, David served the Israeli army by slaying the mighty Goliath, and the next thing you know, they're singing songs about him. You see, David walked in godly greatness. What was the result of him walking in godly greatness? 1 Samuel 18, 14 says, David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. David was not interested in overthrowing the current king, but serving the current king. Let me say that again. He wasn't interested in overthrowing the current king. He was interested in serving the current king. And this is where a lot of us get get this wrong. You see, worldly greatness says, claw your way to the top. Do whatever it takes. That's worldly greatness. Godly greatness says you serve. Let me paint a word picture here to help you understand this better. Let's just say that you get a new job. You're excited. It's a job that you have been praying for, believing God for, and all is well. But over time, the newness starts to wear off like it always does. Things about your boss begin to irritate you a little bit. I'm not going to ask my staff if I do anything to irritate them. I'm just going to trust I don't. <laughs> but you, on the other hand, are soaring. You're making great decisions, and people are starting to notice. God is really blessing you. His hand is upon you. People begin to come up to you and say, you know what, you should be the boss around here. It starts to go to your head. The more you think about it, the more it makes sense. You're a great leader. You're a Christ follower. Doesn't God want to bless you with a promotion? Besides that, you're going to be making more money, meaning you can give more to the Lord's work. It all makes sense. This is where you come to a fork in the road and you have to make a very important decision because the world will teach you do whatever you have to do to get that position. Hurt whoever you have to to get to the top. But God says just the opposite. He says don't focus on the promotion. Focus on serving and trust me. God may promote someone ahead of you. Don't get bitter Continue to be a servant. Trust God. I'm telling you, do you want to get promoted at work? Serve. Serve. Do things that nobody else is willing to do. Scrub the toilets that nobody wants to scrub. I'm telling you, serve. 
When I worked for Jeldwin Windows right out of high school, I started working nights on the floor building windows. I was promoted to the purchasing agent where I became in charge of everything ordering in the, in the company. I was offered management shortly after that, but I declined because the Lord was leading me into ministry. Those positions were never on my radar. I just served. Someone would get behind, and instead of just sitting there twiddling my thumbs, I would go over and I would help them out. It wasn't my job to help them out, but that's just what a servant does. I'm telling you, if you understand this, it's going to change your whole workplace. In Phoenix, I was promoted from children's director to lead executive, overseeing the entire place. That position was never on my radar, never once. I just served. I served other ministries if they needed help. I just served. Nobody noticed, and that was the thing. It was all behind the scenes. Who notices someone working faithfully behind the scenes? Man doesn't. But man doesn't matter. Because man's not the one that promotes you. God notices. Just like David. I only give these personal examples to you to, to tell you that this works. This is what I love about our current staff right now. Everyone on the staff holds a title, but they all understand the greatest title in the kingdom of God is the title of a servant. So everybody jumps in and helps each other out to accomplish the mission. They all do things outside of their title. Tim, our youth pastor, he's a youth pastor. He's back there running the media right now. Amen. So if anything goes wrong, media, it's Tim's fault. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that's the servant. I'm blessed right now to have a staff like this. You don't understand how blessed I am because it is not common to see that, and I know that firsthand. We all work together as one team to accomplish the mission. I'm the lead pastor but if the youth department needs help, I'm helping the youth department. If the kids department needs help, I'm helping the kids department. If the toilets need cleaned, I'm cleaning the toilets and, and, and so forth and so on. If the light bulbs need changed, I change the light bulbs. Because it's a servant. Just because I carry the title lead pastor does not mean I'm above those things. The only title that matters is the title of a servant. We serve and we get the things done that need to be done because as the saying goes, together we win, divided we lose. Maybe you're in here today and you've been passed on for promotion. Maybe you've been treated unfairly. Let me tell you something. God has not turned a deaf ear to you. Don't see, I cannot tell you this enough, don't seek the position, seek him and let him take care of it. You keep serving. You keep your attitude right. If you see something that needs to be done, don't say that's not on my job description. You just do it. Just do it. Well, no one's going to see me. Who cares? God sees you. Every time you pick a piece of paper up off the floor, God sees sees you. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 3 and verse uh, 23 says, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. That's the key. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. 
when you have this attitude, the attitude that I am working for God and not for man, everything changes. When you go into work this afternoon or tomorrow and you walk in there and say, I'm not working for man, I am working for God, everything changes. Because now your focus is no longer on the position, but it's on the people you get to serve. Look at this picture. It said that these hands are the most photographed hands in the history of the world. No set of hands have been have more photos taken them than these hands right here. There's no nail polish. It's rough skin. The hands of a servant. These are the hands of Mother Teresa. You want to be great? Jesus tells us how to do it. Greatness that lasts. If we think about it, what people in our lives do we remember the most? We remember certain school teachers that took an interest in us. We remember certain coaches. We remember certain leaders. We remember those that impacted our lives in a great way. We remember those that served us. In our hearts, those are the greatest. If I would ask you what is the greatest title in the church, what would you say? I know a lot of people would say, well, that's easy. That's the title of pastor. Greatest, greatest title in the church is the title, title of pastor. But they're wrong. Because to me, the greatest title is bus captain. It's pantry worker. It's kitchen worker. It's greeter. It's children's worker. Youth worker. Those that do snow removal. Those that mow the grass. Maintenance worker. Landscape worker. I could go on all day. It doesn't matter what the nameplate on our office door says. We should take those dumb things and throw them away. The greatest title in the world is the title of a servant. A first grade teacher asked her students, what do you do to help at home? One little girl said, I dry the dishes. One of the boys said, well, I sweep the floor. Another one said, I feed and I water the dog. Every student in the class had something to contribute except for one little boy sitting in the back. The teacher looked at him and asked, what do you do to help out at home? He said, I just stay out of the way. And that's the problem in a lot of churches. Too many of us, we just stay out of the way. A Gallup poll discovered that only 10% of church members are active in any kind of personal ministry within their church. 50% said that they they have no desire or interest in serving in any ministry. That's a problem when you understand the definition of true greatness. But I'm glad that's not this church. We're not a church that sits back and just talks about the problem. We are a church that rises up and does something about the problem. We are a church that is we are willing to go where others won't go and reach people that nobody cares about. The weak, the lowly, the despised, the outcast, the mistreated. We have become a voice in this city that is now heard not because of what we say. Not because of what I say. Half the stuff I say don't make sense half the time. It's nothing that I've done. We become a voice because of what we do. 
in the kingdom of God the greatest title you can carry is the title of a servant. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes as we get ready to close the service out today. You know, as your head is bowed and your eyes are closed, the scripture we read just a little bit earlier said that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He came and paid the price on the cross for you, to serve you, because he loves you. And I never like to close a servant or a service without giving you an opportunity to get your life right with God. I believe we have some people in here this morning. You need God in your life and you need him in your life bad. You feel like things are spinning out of control. You feel like there's something missing inside of you. You lay your head down on the pillow at night and it's you feel this emptiness. I want to tell you today that only Jesus Christ can fill that emptiness that you feel. We try to fill it with the things of the world. We try to fill it with relationships. We try to fill it with money. We try to fill it with jobs. Only Jesus can fill that emptiness that you feel. And so I want to give you a chance today before we leave this place. I want to give you a chance to get your life right with God. You see, I don't know why you are in here today. I don't know who brought you in. I don't know if you just wandered in or what, but I do know this. I know that God, you're in here because God wanted you in here. He wanted you sitting in the seat that you are right now for this moment right now because he loves you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room and you say, Pastor, I need God in my life and I need him in my life bad. I don't want to leave this place today without an insurance, assurance that I have Jesus Christ living in my heart as my Savior. I'm a sinner. Pastor, I need, to, I need to be forgiven of my sin. I'm telling you today, that's why Jesus died on the cross, was to forgive you of your sin. I don't care what you've done. He wants to forgive you today. He wants to set you free. And the Word of God says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. He makes you a new creation. So if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, what I'm going to do here in just a moment, if that's you, I want to pray with you before we leave. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three, if that's you, if you say, Pastor, I need God in my life and I need him in my life bad, would you pray for me? On the count of three, I want you to lift your hand all over this room. No one's going to be looking at you. This is just between you and God right now. This is a God moment between you and God. No one's in this room but you and him right now. On the count of three, I want to see your hand because I want to see who I'm praying for. One, two, three, right now. Just put them up, put them up, put them up. Yes, right here in the wild, they're going up. Thank you, God. And all the way in the back, I see your hands going up. On the sides, I see your hands. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. I see your hand in the back. Praise God. You could put your hands down. Now, if you just lifted your hand and there were several of you, I want to say, I'm going to say this prayer. I'm going to say it slowly. And I want you to do something very bold. I want you to repeat this out loud after me. Those of you that didn't lift your hand, I encourage you to say this with those that did to encourage them. 
We're going to say this prayer. We're going to say it loud and strong. And as you pray this, I want you to imagine that Jesus just walked into this room. He's sitting right beside you. And when you speak these words, you're, you're talking to him. You're not talking to me. Let's say this together loud and strong. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today as a sinner. I have sinned against you, and I'm sorry. Today, I lay my sin at your feet. I confess. I give it to you. I surrender my life to you. Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord, my God, my Savior. Today, Jesus, I give my life to you. I surrender to you. And I thank you for forgiving me, for setting me free, and for making me brand new in Jesus name and everybody said amen